This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses. The long shadow of unanswered questions. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Tongwan. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And there are questions that we have that are unanswered. Uh, in our continuing exploration of tension, one of, uh, one of the favorite tricks for tension is questions that are unanswered. And this can take a number of different forms. You classically see them in mysteries, but you'll also see them in romance. Like, will they get together? So. Let's talk about some ways uh, to avoid answering questions without it being um, super gimmicky. <laughs> I have mentioned before my use of my small dog or my mm-hmm. character's small dog to interrupt questions. Uh, as for for people uh, not on the, uh, the the video feed, um, <laughs> Aaron's Aaron's cat is uh, also. Providing a running commentary with which has conveniently prevented us from answering questions yeah. about unanswered questions. Her main unanswered question is why no treats? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out that when you write a book, when you're reading a book, um, fundamentally information is being hidden from you because you haven't gotten to the end of the book yet. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just the ordering of the material is such that I'm not hiding the answer. I'm getting to it. I'm, I, you know, we're we're getting there. We're just not there yet. Um, and you know, you don't have to. The the moment someone you know in the story or on the screen or you know on the page has the answer to the unanswered question, that is not necessarily the moment at which that answer would be revealed to anybody because the story unfolds at a pace at which that hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, that's the easiest tool. So to be a little more granular about that, um, some specific things you can do to kind of stall that answer is you have to gather evidence first or you have an answer that turns out to be the wrong one, or you come up with an answer that doesn't actually solve the mystery. It doesn't answer the main question. It just spins you off in a new direction. And then suddenly you have to gather more evidence and answer different questions. Yeah. I mean, I think for a mystery type story, this is really the heart of the try-fail cycle, right? The thing you are trying to do is gain more information the way you as the author withhold that is have your characters fail at that or get misleading information or only a piece of it, right? I mean, this is, you know, going back to another one of Mary Robinette's favorite tools, the yes, but no, and you can apply that to, yes, you you now know this one piece of information, but there's a complication because that leads you down to a dead end, right? So you can think about it in terms of you know, I think we often think of try-fail cycles around action in terms of trying to rescue someone or trying to fix something. But you can apply that to information gathering because when you're in a mystery, fundamentally your main tool is 
the information that's in front of you right now? Yeah, I think the one of the things I like to think about a lot when I'm writing is information arc as an additional type of arc in a story. Like you have your character arc, maybe your plot arc, mm. but where is information being gathered? Where is it being revealed to the reader and then maybe separately to the characters and really planning that out? Because I think where unanswered questions become annoying to readers is when it feels like you just didn't, you forgot you raised the question or you just didn't bother getting around to answering it. Versus that it was something intentional that you're doing about the way you give out information. Mm -hmm. You know, another great uh, thing that I've seen done before is just kind of hiding what the real question actually is. Um, And we've used romance several times, uh, which is another great source of tension. Uh, The first season of Bridgerton does this brilliantly. In a romance, we often expect the main question to be, will these characters fall in love? Yes, clearly, by like episode three, that's answered. But there's more going on. Will they get married? Yeah, like by episode five, I think they're married. But there's more going on. And ultimately, we realize the actual question that that season is asking is, will they be happy together? Will they resolve their other issues and have a happy life together? Uh, Which is just taking it much further than what we initially thought we were asking. Mm -hmm. That kind of brings me to what I think is the greatest failure state of how information is released to the audience in a novel. And one of those things is when it's not connected to character, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best ways to sort of um, appease an audience when you give them bad information or if they're not getting the answer that they wanted is making sure you're getting more information about who the character is and you're tying that process of trying to get more information into something revealing about who the character is. Um, I'm thinking of like the game Hades, which is a fantastic game. It, it's a roguelike, so you're des- it's designed so that you will fail and die. Every time you die, you're rewarded with a little bit more story as you get to interact with all the characters of this world. So the loop is we're punishing you for the fact that you failed, which you're supposed to do, and rewarding you by giving you character. So if you think about like how satisfying the loop in Hades is, think about that in terms of your reader going through the tri-fail cycles of your book, making sure that you're rewarding them with something, even as the characters themselves are failing. And that brings me to a great point that when we're talking about these questions, Uh, the unanswered questions. There are unanswered questions that the character has, and there are also unanswered questions that the reader has. And if you want to, I I find that when you're trying to emotionally link the reader and the character, that if you give them both the same unanswered question, that that puts the the, the reader on the character's path. But sometimes you'll have a situation where the character knows an answer. There's my traumatic piece of backstory, and the reader doesn't know the answer. And and so that the, the reader tension being is what is the character's traumatic backstory? The character obviously knows it. So that's that's like that's a way that you can ratchet the tension up by withholding something from the reader, as long as the reader doesn't feel um, overtly manipulated. You know, the I'll think about that later. That that you have to have a reason for them to not think about it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of reasons to not think about uh, the the rest of that and how are we going to do it, um, so I'm going to pose a question, which is how are we going to keep people from feeling like they're overly manipulated when they don't get the answer that they want? And we're going to answer that after our break. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our thing of the week is Ted Lasso. Um, it is a currently two-season series. Uh, there's supposed to be a third season. I am eagerly awaiting it. It, this on the surface, this is nothing that I would like. It is a show about soccer, um, and I love this show so deeply because it is a show about what happens when you make the kinder choice, uh, ultimately. And because of because of that, and because of the way they are handling tension and tropes, it's as if they say, "What's a what's a what's a common." TV trope, and we're going to set that up, and then we're going to subvert it by having the character make the kind and understanding response to it. And it is funny. Um, it is heartwarming. I care about soccer in ways that I have never cared about them. Um, it has some of the the best secondary and tertiary characters of anything that I've ever seen. Highly recommended uh, Ted Lasso. Um, all of the seasons, if you're only going to watch one thing, uh, just that sh- that one thing should be Ted Lasso. Except Dong Wan will arm wrestle me about some other things. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I posed a question before we went to break. And that question was, how do you interrupt a question? How do you withhold the question <laughs> from the reader? And make them feel not overtly manipulated. You know, that that moment when someone's like, Yep. Here's a thing that everyone years. in the room knows, but the reader is not allowed to know it. Fifteen years or so ago, there was this this upending of the whole industry of writing and plotting things because suddenly viewers, readers, listeners, whoever recognized that just about everybody had the sum of all human knowledge in the palms of their hands and could call just about anybody. And so if there was a question that couldn't be answered by the people in the room, but they knew someone else had the answer, they would just call them. And screenwriters and writers of fiction and writers of everything had to find new ways to say, well, why wouldn't they just call them? And the first answer was terrible. And that is, oh, I've got no bars. <laughs> I've got no signal. There are 10 minute YouTube videos of people in movies holding up their phones and having no signal because the audience needed to be manipulated because we needed to not have the answer right now. Um, the, the right way to do it is illustrated in what happens when someone else's Google foo is better than mine. I don't know how to ask the right question to get the answer from my phone. I don't know what the right question is. I don't know how to phrase this so I can find the answer. I don't know who to talk to who will have the answer, but maybe if I talk to somebody else, they can help me. And that starts putting speed bumps, you know, in the <clears throat> in between me and the answer to the question. 
Yeah. It was one of the things that I had to do in The Spare Man was, it is set in 2075 or 2074, I can't remember. Anyway, my own book, whatever. Point being, um, you know, everybody is constantly interconnected. And so I had to come up with a reason to turn that off. Um, and it was it was fun in some ways because I, I made it a punitive thing that that, that was being withheld for, from them uh, because they were being falsely accused of a crime. And so they were not allowed to connect to the, the internet. But that also then allowed me to, to make it a strong character thing because it then became a thing that had to be fixed. Um, and also the uh, the frustrations that go with, I'm used to being able to just send a ping to my husband and now I can't, like, one of the things that I enjoyed was her constantly trying to contact him and and not being able to, the, the, the reflex of it. I also think communication devices, just that specific thing is like the reason you can't get the answer can also be a way to ratchet up the tension in kind of a similar way in that if you're used to something, something is familiar and it goes to becoming unfamiliar, that's always, I think, a great source of tension and horror. The familiar becomes strange. So if you pick up your phone to Google something and instead your phone is doing something very odd or you get a a picture of a dead body or something else that's both distracting, so like throw something shiny the reader's way to distract them for one thing, but also it's something you thought was going to happen. You had an anticipation of getting the answer and then that was yanked away from you. That can provide new information and new questions that then the reader will fixate on instead of the one that you didn't answer in that moment. I'm going to come up with a little bit of a chaotic answer to this, which is if you are really struggling how to figure out the keep how to keep your audience from feeling manipulated by withholding information, try just telling them the thing, right? I, I think so often I see writers going through these back loops and just like, contorting themselves to withhold information where I'm like, no, 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 just tell us what's going on. It'll be more interesting if we, or even if your characters know exactly what's happening and they still have to solve this problem, right? I think one of the weak points of a mystery is sometimes knowing what happened doesn't actually change anything. And, you know, to spoil Glass Onion a little bit, it has an aspect of this where like, the, the resolution of the mystery still leaves a really big unanswered question of like, well, what, what do we do about this in a way that is truly fascinating, right? And so I think sometimes if you find yourself stuck and you're like grinding on this question, try writing it from the perspective of just give them the information. Let their phone connect to the internet. Let that person call person C and be like, hey, the killer is so-and-so. And then what does person C do? It doesn't mean they're going to survive, right? Um, and it could make a much more interesting scenario for you and kick your book in an exciting new direction. I, I'm going to second that, that often I, I find that when I just let my character tell the other person the thing, that what actually happens is it just, it, it opens new questions. And they're yeah. significantly more interesting questions, exactly. which allows me to keep ramp, ramping that tension up. If you're stuck, you might be asking the wrong question, is really what I'm saying. Yeah. So I see this a lot with um, doing chapter critiques and things at conferences and classes. And we will be sitting around in like a writing group environment. We've read chapter one of seven different people's things. 
And especially with fantasy and science fiction, a lot of the questions are, well, I don't understand this. I don't understand X or Y thing about your story. And I have to remind them, you know, you usually don't in chapter one. There's there's world building. You have to give us time to settle into it. Uh, But what I find fascinating is that I usually don't get that question when the chapter is providing a ton of other fascinating information. If you are giving us something that is satisfying and compelling and makes us, you know, is scratching that itch to know stuff, then those other kinds of unanswered questions don't seem as pressing because part of that is the distraction that Aaron talked about. You throw something shiny at us, but a lot of it is just you're building trust with your reader. You're giving them information. And so then I know that you're going to give me this other information if I'm patient and wait for it. It's super useful to uh, to anticipate the question that a reader might have and to give that question to another one of the characters. You know, if, if one of the characters does a thing and you know the readers are going to be like, wow, why did they do that thing? Let another character ask that question. Why did you do that? And the person who did it said, you know what? That's a long, painful story, and we're not going to have that conversation right now. Right now, we're busy running. And now I have acknowledged to the reader that there's information you don't have yet. You know who has the information. You know who isn't giving you the information. And everybody in the story to this point is behaving in character. I will flag, though, that you do need to make sure that it is actually a long, painful, complicated story. Because the number of times that I have seen someone say, I'm not going to tell you that right now. We don't have time. And and really, all they needed to say was like a five-word sentence. Um, (laughs) it's, you know, um, it it is, make sure that, that, that there's a legit reason. Um, there was one other thing that I was going to say, what was that? I guess we'll never know. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to. None of us know. Yeah. And all of our cell phones work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh, I know what it, it was. There was actually a thing. Um, red. I do, do want to just briefly touch on how to construct a good red herring, um, because red herrings are uh, one of the ways that you can are, are linked to the unanswered question, because they are the question, the line of questioning that that pulls your detective down down uh, the wrong dark alley. Um, in Glass Onion, it's you know. One of the the most blatant red herrings in the history of ever is wandering around in a bathrobe for much of the film. Um, but what you're looking for is something that appears related to the story that uh, that you feel like everyone else should be able to draw connections to to whatever it is, um, and and ultimately winds up not being connected. Uh, I have a a red herring going on in Spare Man, and the way I constructed that one, um, and I will attempt to discuss it without spoilers for people who haven't read the book yet, um, is the the basic way that I, I did it was that I gave one of the characters a secret, so they were clearly hiding something which is obviously, to the reader, going to be related to the murder. But it had nothing, that secret had nothing to do with the murder. 
So that's a that's a really simple way to give to to insert a red herring is to give someone a secret that's just not the right secret. Uh, which then leads to more unanswered questions. And your unanswered question right now is what is our homework assignment? Well, as tempting as it is to just never answer that question, uh, I will tell you, <laughs> I will spoil the homework. Uh, what we want you to do is take a look at uh, whatever you're working on right now, your work in progress, some, something that you're writing or creating, and figure out what questions you are asking to the reader. And sometimes that might be an overt mystery question. How does this thing work? Where did this body come from? Who did the thing? Uh, sometimes it's world-building questions. You, you've proposed some kind of things about the way a technology or a magic or a society works. Uh, figure out what those questions are and write them down so that you can decide later when and how or if to answer them. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.